the time. So maybe that is a little bit uh, reflected in my work for sure. But I just feel like I'm either doing something like that I feel really good about and I feel like it is like progressive in a way or I just feel like I've fallen down the ladder and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing anymore. Mm. Like I just feel like I've gone back to something that I've sort of already finished but okay. I'm returning to it because it seems like comfortable and I just want to keep writing and trying to get back to yeah, so there's no, some other there's state. There's no like middle middle path for that. It's it's either It doesn't seem like it. It seems like I'm I'm either really positive and really doing things that I've never done or I'm just back to where I once was. It's hmm. kind of bizarre. <laughs> Hello friends, and welcome to episode 14, I think. This feels like a 14th episode of So Poetry. Uh, I am excited specifically about this particular episode because I'm sitting with my dear friend, Elise, who I wanted to talk to for close to a year when did that's what i thought earlier i was like i think we've been trying to put this together yeah because when i year. it was what like last april ish when uh possessed by space came out yeah right yes so elise and i have had kind of a weird interconnected publishing poetic history with each other so <laughs> i my the second book that Akinoga Press published was uh, a collection, it was a chapbook collection of Elise's. And then Possessed by Space as a chapbook would not be in existence if it wasn't for Elise. She was, <laughs> well, I mean, you can, I don't want to, you can tell the story. of. Well, like first that. of all, I think it definitely would be in existence. I, I sometimes feel guilty because I, I talk <laughs> about that book constantly and I was telling uh, my friend earlier today, just like what, and it's like your writing is so like, seemingly effortless but has so much weight in it at the same time and I sometimes like read through that book or I look at it and I'm like I feel guilty that I took this <laughs> from like a legitimate publisher because I just did it for like the independent <clears throat> lip pub class and I, I think about that a lot like I don't know I, I'm so like honored to have been able to put that out and at the same time I'm like this could have won a chapbook contest somewhere very easily and, well, I, and I feel bad about it <laughs> I, I appreciate so I'm, I'm beginning to learn about my own writing that I like kind of like we were talking went a little bit before the the start of this particular part of the recording um, talking about how for certain things I can play fast and loose with and then other things I need to have a little bit of like I need to know what's going on yeah and I generally don't like having control over stuff and I don't like other pe other people having control over me it's it's like I'd, I'd rather just be responsible for myself right. but I've begun to realize that with my own, especially with poetry, but I'm assuming that it probably expands out to my other art practices that I want to have as much creative control over it as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, and with Possessed by Space, I'm glad that it was with you because I don't think any other publisher would have allowed me to lay out my own book. <laughs> and like I'm, for at least that particular, so I, I've, I think I may have mentioned this a, potentially a couple times before in the podcast that my press has developed a very specific aesthetic mm -hmm. that changes for each person but still kind of falls within like if you look if you see a book out there 
of mine, you can probably, after you've seen a couple of them, you're like, oh, that's Akino the Press book. Yeah. And Possessed by Space definitely needed to have that particular aesthetic. And I, I don't know if I would have trusted anybody else to do that. Um, which I, so I, at first I was thinking with the stuff, and some stuff with the podcast has come up with like certain possibilities that it's like, it's not so, I don't think it's, part of it's a control thing, but I think a large part of it's a trust. It's like these, these things are so important to me that I don't, if I trust you, I'll give it to you and right. I'll let you, you know, I'll let you do what you need to do with it. But if I don't, if I don't trust you, it's like, I'm not given, I'm not letting you touch any aspect yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly. I totally feel you on that for sure. And, and I think that was like one part of why that was like the easiest collaboration. I remember talking to other people <laughs> that were just like constantly arguing with people who maybe were putting out a poetry book and had not really even edited a poetry manuscript and didn't understand how it was laid out and they mm -hmm. were having arguments, but I just felt like the way we put it together, I think we had a similar aesthetic, a similar idea for the way that the work was. Um, my instructor actually tried to praise me for the layout of the book and I was like, no, I had nothing to do with this. Like I kind of just sent emails back and forth for two months and like, I mean, you and like your roommate who did yeah, the cover art, which that was cover amazing. Is amazing. I love it. That is, yeah. when I, when I told her so shout out, I don't know, Shelby, if you listen to these or not, but a big shout out to you because I was describing to her. So the, um, for those of you who have not seen the book, and I might, I'll probably throw up a, a link to both the, my chapbook and Blue Mornings, which is the uh, chapbook of releases that Akinoga Press published. But um, when I was talking to my, my roommate uh, graduated from ICA. She does amazing like ink work drawings. And I was describing to her kind of what I imagined at least this, what I imagined for the cover, but at least kind of the general sensation that I felt being in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And she delivered in a big fucking way. And it's she just did. like, I, although I have like <laughs> laying that out for the cover for like, cause it, it's a kind of a continuous image. So you, there, the back cover and the front cover, it's, it's one solid image, but laying that out in InDesign was a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> cause it like the, what she drew wasn't big enough to span the page itself, so I had to go in and add chunks to it. And like, I I hate, I absolutely despise Photoshop, and I had I spent more time in Photoshop than I ever care to spend in it again, trying to figure out a way. Because I at first, I put everything in and I thought it looked good, but I had everything on a white background, mm -hmm. and then I dropped in kind of an approximate color of what the cover would end up looking like, kind of a sandy tan color. And I realized that I had not made the images transparent. So you had this like gross white outline over yeah. everything. I was like, I'm going to have to do this <laughs> again and put all these things in here again. I feel like my class was so much more stressful for you than it was for me. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just waiting on these emails to come in and I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. Well, like, I feel like our when we did Blue Mornings, the, it was really a similar process that... Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, other publishers, I mean, whenever I ask people to write in or comment, nobody ever does, but if there are any other <laughs> publishers out there and you feel like uh, talking about this, please feel free, that I don't, I don't know the experience of other publishers, but so far with all the books that I've done, the, at least the layout, like the editing and the layout process has gone almost seamlessly. For sure. Um, I don't know if I'm just... I've been blessed so far to work with people who have a really strong sense of 
what even if they don't have an idea of like a solid idea of what they want it to look like they have an idea like they they know the vibe or the energy that they have and it's just a matter of like presenting them with enough options so that they can hone in of oh that's that's what I want because I I think I think the most work I did for yours was the covers I remember doing probably 10 different cover designs of different things (laughs) and then we we uh, narrowed it down to I found a it's like a clip art image of a bunch of different bottles of liquor and then the appropriate glasses that they that they correspond mm-hmm. with and I did I think one of each of those for the cover and then we it was the wine glass yes right yeah which makes like fits perfectly with yeah it know. did and I actually didn't even realize like how much that was sort of like a theme throughout the book until you kind of pointed it out and I'm like oh my god I write about <laughs> drinking in like every other poem but um I don't know you made it really easy because it's like I knew what I didn't want like right. I knew if I yeah. saw something I'd just mm-hmm. be like absolutely not but then yep. it did kind of get to a point where I was like okay I like all of this I just need to pull the trigger but I remember seeing that image specifically and just knowing that that, that was right and it was just like simple and to the point and I mean, I don't know. I was really happy with the way yeah. that it turned out. So Anthony's book took me a while to, to try to figure out because it's on the front. It's a, you know, like the Fibonacci spiral. Mm-hmm. You know how there's like typically it's drawn inside of like the corresponding boxes yeah. that, that are built up. Um, it took me a while to, like I, we had the box, I had the box in the spiral on the cover and then we, that felt like it was too on the nose. So I decided to just do the boxes without the spiral on mm-hmm. the inside. And I, I took me a while to find a box that was big enough that I could like erase the spiral out of, but then the, like the lines in trying to change the color of them in Photoshop, the lines weren't good. So I ended up having to make my own set of boxes in illustrator, mm-hmm. but that one, I mean, the, that book took a while just because Anthony was going through, uh, I want to say either his first or second year of a PhD, so it was super, super spotty of mm-hmm. getting in touch with him. But when when we finally got shit together, it went it went pretty quickly. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's. But we. I was thinking. Well, I was wondering about this earlier today. Were, did we take Aishin's class together? We at did. UB? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I I couldn't remember if that was before. So at least. Keeping with my trend of talking to uh, UB-related uh, writing people, at least started at UB, and we were in, we had uh, Kendra's intro to poetry class together, right? We did, right? yeah. And you were you were in my uh, creativity with Steve. Yes. Right. So we had a couple of classes in the first semester together, and we had a couple of cl- no, yeah, a couple of classes in second semester, and then was it. After the second semester that you yeah you left? I left that that following summer and took a couple of years off and then I actually had a year where I didn't get into grad school which was a huge oh, bummer wow so that was super depressing because I got stuck back out in Albuquerque <laughs> working like a part time cashier's job <laughs> trying to like keep my head up but um, it ended up working out because I didn't uh, apply to Chatham during that year I didn't even know about it mm-hmm. and in some way I was really glad that that happened in hindsight just because Chatham ended up being like the perfect program that was like where I needed to be and you know it worked out for the best and I was way more ready by the time I went and was just way more passionate about it than Mm -hmm. when I started at U-Vault but U-Vault is a weird program it's it's uh I hadn't obviously not gone to grad school before but I could tell it's just sort of like this atypical thing and like the teachers were amazing and like I liked the people but I just felt so like 
is this what this should feel like? I wasn't sure, and I, yeah, I, I did think, confirm that later, but... Yeah, UB's feels in some ways more or less a traditional um, creative writing program, but there are a couple of aspects of it that are, like you said, very, very typical, especially, and I think um, creativity was definitely the thing that, that sort of whittled the people who didn't who were like not good matches with UB out yeah. of the class. So the the best way I can describe creativity, and you can you can either back me up or correct me if I if okay. I mis uh, mischaracterize this, was it really kind of felt like kindergarten for you know like twenty to thirty plus absolutely age people. Yeah. Because uh, we were, in in retrospect. I, I, under, I definitely understand why that's the first class that we have. Um, and that was something that, with UB, if anybody out there decides to go to, to UB and you're kind of uh, a little hesitant after the first semester, stick with it because you, it makes sense. It, it will eventually make sense. Um, but the class really is just like, you are th thrown so many different ways to do and look, to do things and look at the world in experience in, I think, one, an attempt to get you to recognize the habitual ways that you that your creative process happens or that your art happens or that you just exist in the world. Yeah. And two, to give you a, an extra exp or just exposure to things that you may have never experienced before or um, just new ways of looking at things that might continue like you might continue on with something or it just might be for that moment it mm -hmm. it breaks open something in you and you're like oh right um because there were definitely people that seemed to excel more at certain things in the class than i did but yeah. in I, I kind of wish that you would have at the end of the the, the like grad school experience that you would have creativity part two which is would just be sort of a reinforcement of it that like what now that you're graduating and you're you're not gonna have um i don't know the benefit of the class to keep your creative practice going these are some mm -hmm. things that you could potentially do to, to as a, just an extra reinforcement as you're out yeah to kind of remain accountable for the stuff that you're doing and i think the main uh, as far as that class specifically was concerned I thought it was really good for people who are already very certain the way they want to write, the project they want to do, mm. and I think it kind of forces you to break completely away from that because yep. we didn't really end up, I feel like we didn't write a lot in that class. No, it was and mostly just journaling. Yeah, the, it was that and a lot of like other forms of media, and like it was really cool in that way, and I don't know who I was talking to this about, if it was, if it was you or... Um, but I remember Steve saying something very weird, like, and just thinking, like, okay, I don't, well, he was always saying something weird, but <laughs> I just remember thinking, like, all right, I don't know if this is for me on the day where he said, okay, here's your assignment. I'm, like, ready to go, you know, ready to write it down. And he's, like, just, you know, go outside and just observe birds this week because I think it was when we were talking oh, about right. yeah, Wallace yeah, Stevens like yeah. 13 ways of looking at a blackbird Which or is, maybe yeah you know. and that if no one if, if no one is familiar with that poem I'll put a link up for it but that is essentially the mantra of both creativity and the UB uh, MFA program as a whole yes but yeah so so yeah I just thought like 
I didn't know if it was like the best assignment I'd ever been given <laughs> or if it was just like total bullshit. Like I was like, I don't know how to feel about right. this. Right. Yeah. Like, and I, th- I think that there was, there's oh, definitely some people that were kind of incensed in like coming into the, uh, coming into the program thinking that it was going to be a more or less respectable thing. And then you're hit with, yeah, go look at, go look at birds or, uh, we're going to blindfold you and then give you a bunch of random objects and you're going to have to write about, you're going to have to feel them and exp- like expose yourself to them in a tactile way and then write about them in your journal while you're still blindfolded. Right. Which was like, I, oh, okay. <laughs> and then there was one, one exercise, like there was, I think, four or five different pieces of music that we were supposed to listen to and then... Uh, we were supposed to, for each different piece, we were, I think, uh, supposed to change our positioning, either sitting or standing or whatever, and mm-hmm. then either draw or, like, do some sort of automatic creation, either, like, drawing or writing to them. Yeah. Which was something that, you know, I never would have thought to, like, write to jazz while kind of leaned over a table. Yeah. Or, you know, do, like, weird pencil, um colored pencil marker abstract drawings yeah. to some weird like classical you know like filled glass yeah. piece <laughs> but yes yeah. i'm I, I i appreciated that class and like i like i said before for for those of you who are out there it definitely built on itself that after Absolutely. creativity when you got into some of the like experimental forms and that sort of thing where you were just again being exposed to stuff and the the whole sort of part of the the ub if one mantra is 13 ways of looking at a blackbird, the other mantra is plork, which is a portmanteau of play and work, mm-hmm. um, which is something the, I think the play aspect was very heavily emphasized and uh, like really kind of thrown on our faces in creativity. I think that that may have been the thing that a lot of students had some issues with or some resentment about. Yeah. Um, just the, the sort of idea that, that art doesn't have to be a super serious like you need to be serious about art but it doesn't have to be a super serious endeavor there can be elements of like play of the unexpected and um i don't know just improvisation and and not sporadic but um i don't know like that sort of thing where you just you don't know what's going to happen and, and i think that that's definitely segueing effortlessly into poetry that experience has definitely influenced my experience with my own writing mm-hmm. um that that in respect thinking of that and especially my uh, changed stance on revision i'm not so concerned with the poem doing what i want it to do mm-hmm. like once i start writing I usually have an impetus for writing, but when I start writing, if the poem feels like it's pulling somewhere, it's like I just I try to just let it go and just see. Yeah. Um, and there are times it's like I kind of know if I have an ending. It's like I know that there's a poem that one of the ones that I sent you recently about mm-hmm. the um, the moth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you've read. Through I haven't it yet. gotten to it yet. Okay. No. So I, I recently wrote a poem about. There was one day I was actually driving to work up here, and. Um, I noticed a moth being like buffeted by the wind on my winch on my windshield wiper. And I was like, Oh shit, I don't want this thing to die. So I missed the exit and pulled into a, like a park that I've been to. And then 
like tried to relocate them off to like grass so mm-hmm. you'd be okay and I ended up being I don't know like 10 or 15 minutes late to work and I was pairing that with the idea of when I see homeless people um, you know like panhandling or, or begging on the street there's a a weird reaction that I have to it's like I, I want to help but I don't know how to help and I also tend to not have cash on me and I know that that's not always the best thing to like to give to people but the, that idea of like I, I want to help but I don't know how and I don't know how to interact with someone that obviously needs some sort of assistance that mm-hmm. I, I can't give so like that sort of and I knew that I wanted to end like I wanted to pair those two images together but getting yeah. to um there were some descriptions that popped up with the kind of the every every man homeless person that one that wound up in the poem that like I I did not expect when yeah. I was writing I was like oh shit this is okay I guess some Christian imagery or like biblical imagery is being thrown in here mm-hmm. like all right let's let's run with it let's see where this goes yeah do you um so I, maybe not on a grand scale with the whole like writing process, but have you, where are you in that stage of like, write, like when you write, when you set out to write a poem, do you have kind of it, do you have an outline for it or do you let it just, you start, there's something that, that gives you a, uh, the inspiration to write and then once you start it just, you kind of just let it, just let it run. I think what I've been doing recently that's been more successful for me is I'm always, um, I really like eavesdropping on people Mm. that I just, I don't know at Mm -hmm. all anywhere. And I hear, you know, you hear some of the funniest, most out out of context comments you can possibly hear, especially when you're only tuning into, you know, whatever (laughs) part you're there for, if you're sitting next to someone at like a diner or something. So I do tend to jot those quotes down. I'll put them in a journal if I have it with me, but it's usually, you know, just ends up being notes in my phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of try to use those as, kicking off points when I have like a writer's block moment either that or I have something that I love so much that I want to save it and purposefully try to make a poem go there and Mm -hmm. end it on that note at the same time because sometimes you just hear something so right perfect and you're like I need this right and I need to find a way to get here Mm -hmm. and so I think like that has been um Anyway, that's been like my most recent process, just trying to, when I can't write, taking something and saying, okay, where can this go? Just doing free association. Or if I'm stuck with like a beginning line or a title or an ending line, or I just feel like I've gotten someplace and you know the poem's not over, but Mm -hmm. you just have nowhere to go. I kind of try to throw that in there and see if that works in some way. Okay. So do you, um, because I definitely go through periods when I don't, Right. I'm actually kind of coming off of one of a, a dry spell. Mm-hmm. And I've taken, um, I don't know, probably a, a much more casual response to going through those dry periods where it's like, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I don't feel inspired to write, eh, it's like, I'm not going to force it. It's just because I've, I've definitely have tried on a couple of previous occasions to, if I'm not feeling it to try to write something and it's just mm-hmm. like I can tell that it's not yeah like, it's not coming so for me it really does I need an impetus I need something that's bubbling up in me that it's like I need to get this out yeah when you I don't know if I would necessarily consider that writer's block but when you write or when you go through periods of not writing do you try to 
push through it, like the trying to get your second wind and just you know that once you get through that that area, something will come out, or do you kind of just let it? Like if you're if you're not riding, you'll you know, go grocery shopping or pay the bills or yeah. like focus on other stuff. I think I used to push it really hard, but I think it was really only most recently because I just graduated, you know, finished my thesis mm. last year. But since then, I mean, I dropped off writing for the rest of the year after I defended my thesis. Like I felt like I'm not ready to go back and look at that or submit it. Like I was sick of like the 60 or so poems that I wrote. And I was like, <laughs> and I just, I don't want to write anymore. Even if I felt like I wanted to, I would jot stuff down, but I just never went back to it. Mm -hmm. And then earlier this year, when I was living in Southern California, I was doing like a sketch writing class at the Upright Citizens Brigade. Which is fucking ridiculously <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was so much fun. And it was really good to just get out of that like poetic state right. of mind. Yeah. But when I was writing there, I kind of felt guilty for not writing poetry. And I did try to force it. And then I would go back like a couple weeks later and I'm like, this is all garbage. And yeah. I would just delete it, like all of it. Mm -hmm. And so there were, uh, there was definitely a point where I just said, I need to just let that go for a while. When it comes back, it comes back. Because like forcing it and then looking at it later and how bad it was, <laughs> at least in my opinion, right. was really frustrating. Yeah. And it didn't make me feel inspired. Yeah. And I would definitely, so Elise and I have exchanged um, some poems recently, just, uh, which I'm sure other writers out there, you, you, you uh, adhere to this practice of just sending things to writer friends to get other eyeballs on. And I would definitely say that you are back to writing in a very, uh, very strong way. Thank uh, you. The, um, the fucking, the potential, what, potential and heat? Yeah. God, like, what? <laughs> That scenario is so funny, too, because it was just such an odd, simple thing that happened with someone I didn't know right. at all, which are, like, my favorite things. Like, yeah. I love, like, meeting someone one or two times and having to be, even though in the moment it's, like, so awkward and you don't want to be there, but then I kind of reel about it later. I'm like, this is hilarious, or this is, like, so something that I can just sit down and write a page. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, like, going to some weird business meeting with my mom while I was out there, and, like, one of her people she was trying to recruit... And we just had to go and listen to this guy, like, speak about, like, life insurance or something just horribly <laughs> boring. But, like, I didn't know this guy. And I had used, like, a fake name just to give myself a kick out of being right. there. Right, yeah, you got to do something to and spice And so the conversation that occurred from just having the fake name, being mm -hmm. someplace I didn't want to be, and knowing that I was probably never going to see the person I was talking to again. Right, yeah, it gives you a little bit of freedom. Yeah, to sort of, yeah. so it, it kind of, like, made it fun. And then after that, for some reason, I just... I wrote about the entire thing and it made me laugh. So, but yeah, I don't know. I think when I look at it now though, it seems like it's written more seriously than it was. Cause I think it does touch on some themes that I write about as far as like interacting with people, but it was actually a really funny scenario <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, like I'm, I've read very, sparsely of Raymond Carver, but there's a very particular, I don't know, energy, vibe, color that I get from him. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed it a lot in your, your writing, and I, that poem in particular, which is one of the comments that I, that I wrote on it, uh, one of my responses, that it's like, that's something, so if, if we're trading env envies or jealousies, that's something that I'm super super envious about your writing but like you can because i i feel like my stuff is there's always 
some like distance in it that even even like in the the intimate times there's mm-hmm. still a level of like you're not you're not in it there's a little bit of space and I feel like when I read your poems and when I read Raymond Carver's um, short stories although I haven't read any of his poetry so I'm, I would be interested to see if if that if his whatever carries over but anyway um, like I'm there I'm in it mm-hmm. with your stuff and I don't um, it's the same sort of jealousy or envy that I get when I read really witty, funny stuff, mm-hmm. um, especially poetry, because there's there's always that super super thin line between writing like a poem that's funny, that's good funny, and mm-hmm. stuff that's like a limerick. Yeah. Funny. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't under, I don't understand how people do it. Like I just <laughs> I can't whenever when I write, it's not. Yeah. It was a really, it's a super hard line to walk that I don't think I, I did, I don't know if I do it well now, but I definitely wasn't doing it well like the second year of my thesis because I actually had a professor that when she looked at some of my like funnier kind of stuff, she was like, she would go back and forth and say like, oh, like this is really funny, but I don't know why, or I don't know (laughs) how to comment on it. And then like the next week I would write something else that maybe came off like, funny in a mean-spirited sort of way that maybe didn't have a lot of direction and she actually said to me well I don't really know if we can consider this poetry which I think was (laughs) is a weird thing to say but yeah yeah I also feel like that was what pushed me towards doing like the UCB thing because I just Mm. thought there were so many pieces that I couldn't force into that box at least not for the people who were reading my thesis and I was like well I need to pass and get out of here so maybe I should let it go and circle back to it yeah um, but I felt like a lot more freedom writing in prose, fictional prose form, making something funny, even though I had no clue how to do it. Right. But I knew that what I was doing that was humorous in poetry wasn't hitting people the way I wanted it to. So okay. it was kind of cool to like go somewhere else with that and then try to return to making it funny. But yeah. So have you, have you gained any insight to, um, like why the things that you write that were funny are funny? <laughs> or like just uh, like that process because that's something that um, like I, I followed like Keen Peel and mm-hmm. their kind of trajectory through Mad TV mm-hmm. and the like Keen Peel and um, there's some other comedians and stuff that like we uh, at the shop that I work at we have NPR on all the time mm-hmm. and I usually catch uh, fresh air you know every day at three. And she talks to a lot of comedians. Yeah. And just, like, hearing them talk about their process is something that's, like, again, very, very foreign to me. Because I, when I'm at work, I'll come up with random, like, weird, funny scenarios that I share with Danielle, uh, who was one of my season one guests. Mm -hmm. And they're funny to me, but I don't, I don't know, they probably wouldn't be, like, they're, I don't know, they probably wouldn't hit for a lot of people. So I'm just, I'm curious, like, if you've gained any insight on this. For sure. I think that was sort of my problem when I was initially writing poetry that I thought was funny is it was very dialogue-based, but it was from people that I personally knew. So maybe that was more like, it was my experience or things that I had talked to people about that I knew why they were funny. And, like, when they were read in the class, I think they were generically enough funny to hear them read. Mm -hmm. But there was no, they were kind of like... There was nothing behind him. There was no okay. like reverberation of okay, there's something else behind here than just like a couple of funny lines. But when I was at UCB, I remember having a moment. The class was only eight weeks long, 
and like nobody and especially not my instructor <laughs> laughed at my stuff until like the fifth week <laughs> but I remember like hitting that point and then kind of rereading it and getting like finally like looking back on the sketches I had written before mm-hmm. it seemed painfully obvious why uh, they weren't okay. hitting so I don't know if it was just I think for me it was just a matter of just repeating and repeating and repeating and like getting into a new genre and realizing that you can't really focus on like one part of the dialogue because I was just like honing in on one thing and trying to expand it and it wasn't successful. So I think when I opened that up more and gave like multiple elements of funny things instead of trying to make someone see this one line or this one point, it completely changed because after that I felt like I was way more successful. Do you, does your, when you, when you were writing the comedy stuff, Mm -hmm. did you, was there a particular, um, I don't know, like on the spectrum of like situational, observational type stuff to kind of absurd, just ridiculousness, where did you, did you have a particular place that most of your stuff fell on that line or? Yeah, I mean, I think it was sort of. It was a little absurd. Uh, The one thing that I wrote that was like the first thing that got people to laugh is I was really excited because we were writing a spoof and it could be of like a genre, a part of a TV show, a commercial, what Mm -hmm. have you. And I had written a uh, spoof about the show My Cat from Hell. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I had written a different spoof. I had contacted my instructor and he's like, don't do that. Like, push the assignment. Like, you need to, like, risk what you're doing because you're trying to stay in a safe place. And I freaked out because I had, like, one day to completely rewrite it. Had no clue what I was going to do. And I honestly just think, like, I was like, what is, like, one of the funniest shows that's, like, not supposed to be overtly funny, but I don't know if you've seen that show. It's funny, like, even though it's, like, trying to help people understand how to own an animal, essentially. (laughs) But when I just sort of gave up trying to make sure that other people thought it was funny Mm. and just went in my own mind, I was like, this is ridiculous. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. I ended up including, like little Richard as a character like it just got <laughs> off like the deep end and I was like I don't care and that was actually the first thing that people seemed to appreciate so okay there was a lot of letting go as far as as that was concerned I feel like that's a really I don't know I feel like you could potentially take lessons from that when it comes to artists dealing with thinking about like creating art for a specific audience mm-hmm. or versus creating the art that you want to create and then finding the audience for that yeah. art. Because um, usually when I'm... Because I've... I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but I've definitely talked with some friends about the whole sort of... Um, like, if you are writing for yourself in a journal, there are certain maybe shorthands that you could take or there's certain... Not quality in in the, the sense of how, how quote-unquote good the writing is, mm-hmm. but... Like word choice, you know, if you're if you're dropping commas, if you're writing and just, you know, it's like you don't have to follow any particular grammatical rules if you're just mm-hmm. writing for yourself because you, like, you only have to bring it as far as you need to to understand it. Yeah. Which is usually a lot less of a distance than you would for someone else to understand it. Um, but if you're if you're doing that, if you're writing like that, if you are then will potentially put that out there. I feel like there are different considerations that you have to take, but there's definitely, I think, you can take it too far and be too aware of the audience Mm -hmm. and maybe 
the stand-in of like the critic in your head of how you say things or how far you go with certain things that like if you're if you're too aware it can stifle that a little yeah, bit for sure so that's that's really interesting that the first like the first thing that you wrote to get a laugh was the thing that you were just like, well, <laughs> yeah. fuck them. Yeah, basically, like, I don't care anymore. Like, it's been, you know, I was more than halfway through the class. But I don't know. I think I was intimidated by not really the instructor so much. I mean, he was, like, really good and had written stuff for, like, uh, SNL's Weekend Update and, and things like that. But there were people in the class that I was just blown away by the fact that they were in a 101 sketch writing class. Like, there's a girl that's going to be on, like, the next season of Orange is the New Black. There's a guy that was like an intern for the Howard Stern show. There was a kid that like <laughs> met and interviewed Jill Stein for Funny or Die. And I'm like, what am I what? like what am I doing in this class? <laughs> so like then it, I felt like when I found out all that stuff, you know, you like dig through people's Facebook pages. I'm like, right. how successful are these people? Right. Yeah. I, it was really nerve wracking and I felt like I totally didn't belong there. And I don't know that I ever did, but like <laughs> I would, you know, I would definitely continue doing it, but that was, it was hard. I was yeah. like, how am I going to make these people laugh? Yeah. And it was really hard to break away from that. And I, I, that's one of those tough things that like, I'm, I feel like it potentially ties into something that I'm, I continue to struggle with that, which is, not looking at another artist's life that is at least in some ways comparable to yours and then trying to really eviscerately compare your life to them and yeah. figure out why they may be in a place that you're not yeah. yet, which is, I imagine that was probably very tough sitting, <laughs> sitting yeah, in a class. Yeah, it was terrifying. <laughs> Like, after the first class, I'm like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if I should be here, but I don't know. I just felt like there was also no going back, and I just had to yeah. just push through it and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so have you... I know that we... When we were... Um, so I, I've been, like, email... Or at least and I have been keeping up a pretty... Uh, albeit a little bit delayed at times, <laughs> a pretty strong uh, email correspondence. I remember asking you... Um, while you're going through this class, mm -hmm. this. But I'm curious, like, have you have you worked out any sort any hybrids of your comedy and poetry writing yet? Have you have you experimented with anything like that, or it, it's still on I, the on the back burners? Yeah, I think it's definitely still on the back burner. I've actually been trying to let a lot of my sketches sit because I do want to revise them, and I have a lot of really good notes from the people in the class, and I feel like I'm still too close to everything that I've written and so I don't know if I'm ready to necessarily expand but I feel like when I am I'm gonna know what to do and maybe not so much like finding the line between sketch and poetry because I'm not sure that there <laughs> is one if at all but I mean I think I have a better idea of how to incorporate the stuff that I think is funny and at the same time give it maybe not a depth, but at least a little bit of like background information. Okay. So I think I went from writing things that were sort of funny in a hollow sort of like, haha, like I get it, but I don't get mm -hmm. it kind of way. And now I think I can get the filler in behind that to at least give it some context. Okay. But I guess we'll see when <laughs> I actually get there, I will email you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm enamored with, so you, you were in the class that we read Autobiography of Red. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. So um, for those of you who don't for those of you who don't know, 
the autobiography or autobiography of Red is a novel in verse written by Anne Carson that chronicles like a retelling of an old Greek myth involving Heracles and a like, demon named Geryon, Geryon, whatever. I can never pronounce that name. Um, but it's a novel written in relatively short chapters of verse and anybody familiar with Ann Carson's verse it's just it's a knockout yeah it's insane and since since reading that I've been kind of enamored with the idea of things not poetry being written in like quote-unquote poetry Mm -hmm. so I would be very interested to see um like some sort of sketch but written like when you read the actual script of the sketch in like the verse or the in a in a, po- in a poetic format mm-hmm. um which i don't know i because i feel like i feel like you could probably get away with it a little bit easier in theater which yeah sketch comedy or writing for sketches is like it, it's still theater it's still mm-hmm. performance but i was just thinking of you know like sh- some of shakespeare's characters like dialogues and mm-hmm. monologues and stuff and how they're if they're not like lay people are usually written in like iambic pentameter instead of mm-hmm. whatever like blank on rhyme verse other stuff that he uses um but yeah so i'm i'm very interested to see what you come up with because it's i don't know i i really enjoy reading stuff that i can't do mm-hmm. um there's a like um oh god good omens by neil gaiman and terry pratchett I like as I've as I mentioned before. It's very difficult for me to write comedically. So when I encounter a book like Good Omens or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that has me literally laughing out loud, yeah. they have they have a very very special place in my heart because it's it's I don't know like I don't know if there's some part of me that imagines if I sit with it long enough I can somehow absorb whatever it is that yeah. makes it funny. But so far that has not happened. I was actually thinking earlier when you were talking about uh, Key and Peele, I listened to their interview on Mark Maron's What the Fuck podcast, and Jordan Peele went to Sarah Lawrence for poetry. And I never, I don't know why, like immediately after that, I was like, I need to look this up and see what it is. Like, I wonder how, it seems like going to Sarah Lawrence for poetry, like it wouldn't necessarily (laughs) be humorous in the way that they've they are so fucking funny, but like I would, I'm curious about that because it seems like an odd yeah. fit for. I mean, it's like nothing hmm. compared to what they're doing now, probably. But I never looked that up, but I'm I'm sure it exists well, somewhere. Shit, if that's true, I need to see if I can get fucking yeah. Jordan. Wait, no, was it Key or Peel? Was was, it was it Jordan, Jordan Jordan Peel? Yeah. I need to see if I can get Jordan on. I wonder if he can do this podcast. <laughs> Bring his thesis. I'm sure it's on file. Shit, I wonder if I could. Po- Published. I wonder if he's looking for a publisher for that. I think it's worth looking into. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. So I, I, I'm terrible. One of the other things that I struggle with is when I meet, maybe not necessarily my idols, because um, when you're dealing with like in the poetry world, the people who are famous are not like renownedly famous. They're just yeah. They're, you know, like Hirsch, Jane Hirschfeld's a famous poet, but mm-hmm. nobody other than poets know who she is. Yeah. Um, and she has your book. Yes, which she is does. Amazing. Yeah, she does have a copy of my book, and I've been meaning to like write her as in a like as a follow up to it. But there's the level of like, like what does she, what does she care about some like twenty something year old dude on the <laughs> East Coast who <laughs> randomly gave her a collection 
of one of his books. Yeah. Um, but thinking about, because I know that like Charles Wright lives somewhere in Virginia, mm-hmm. um, like Mary Oliver's down somewhere in Florida, I think. Uh, but there, there are certain, I don't know, like bigger figures that it's difficult for me to deal with or to to interact with them as people, mm-hmm. just because I mean. There's that, it's like you, I don't know, there's some, some level of celebrity and some level of insulation, I feel like, that gives yeah. people that it's, I mean, it's initially difficult for me to surmount, even if somebody's not famous, like going up and talking to them and figuring out what the hell to say. Yeah. But when there's some level of like, oh, I've, re- I've read like six books by you. Yeah, that's all. Like, yeah, you always think like, oh, we're gonna have like this epic conversation. But I remember going through the same thing. Like Nick Flynn, who also oh, right. came to Ubal. Yeah, he came to Chatham while I was there, and I listed him like in my bibliography for my thesis. I love his book, Some Ether. That was like huge for me. Mm-hmm. I have like every line on un- like underlined to some right. degree yeah. in a different colored pen from a different <laughs> year. But uh, when he came, I was offered the opportunity to introduce him at the reading and I'm like fuck yes this is amazing <laughs> yeah. and at the same time I somehow had this thing where I was like yeah but like just be cool like don't <laughs> don't try to like ask him weird questions right. like yeah. just try to pretend like you're on his level even though I'm totally not right. at all but yeah. like I remember doing the intro and I was really like relaxed because I'd, I'd been writing it for like a month and felt really good about it and like he came and like sat down by me and he was like oh, you know, good job. I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. (laughs) And then I tried to like, I went up to him to get him to sign my book, which he had his new book out, My Feelings, which I'm sorry, Nick, but it's not your best work. It was okay. Like Mm -hmm. if I hadn't read everything prior to. Yeah. um, But I had him sign some either because I couldn't have him not. Right, yeah. And I just remember him sort of like anticipating me wanting to have a conversation and I just couldn't I just stood there and he signed it and he kind of like looked at me and I'm just kind of <laughs> nodding and I was like well oh, okay, thanks, thanks bye, bye. Yeah, yeah just took off <laughs> yeah I had the um so I've actually talked to both times relatively briefly but I've talked to Jane Hirschfield twice so far mm-hmm. um the first time was at the AWP in Seattle which I think was 2000 oh god like 13 or 14 maybe because i think no maybe 2012 or 2013 because one of them was in minneapolis and the other one was in la and Mm -hmm. then it was in dc yes um but she was the one of the keynote readers and i was like oh this is one of the best nights of my life because i just finished reading um come thief which was her second most recent collection like working through my thesis or it may have been like while i was working through my thesis or whatever but um I was just like, I, I get to hear her read poems from this yeah. place. Like, oh. <laughs> and so she was signing at the end of it. And there was, it was her and um, maybe Sharon Olds. Or no, there was another, I, I don't know. It was, some, it was another reader of poetry. And when they broke um, for signing, there was two lines for mm-hmm. him. And the line for the other person was crazy fucking long. And yeah. then Jane's was, there was a you know, respectable number of people in there. I was like... You know, because her line was shorter, I was like, I might actually like talk with her for a yeah. little bit. And while I was in line, I was wrestling with whether or not I wanted her to actually sign a, my collection or my copy of Come Thief. And I was like, well, I like what? Because I was really kind of breaking down the whole like, what's the point of getting someone to sign this thing? Because it's yeah. 
you know, I probably won't have this particular collection forever. And it's like, is it, it feels like that puts too much weight on the actual physical copy of the thing and not the things that are inside of it. And it's like, well, what's like, why do I want her signature? It's just like, what? Yeah. And I was wrestling with that when I finally got up there, like she was sitting there looking at me, like, I'm assuming expecting me to hand her a book. And I was like, uh, I, if I'm actually, I'm, I just want to say thank you for writing and I, I appreciate it and you know I don't I'm okay with I don't think I want you to sign anything and then I, I said all of that a little bit more articulately than yeah. I just said now and at the end she was like are you sure that you don't want me to sign anything he's like yeah I think I'm okay and I, I walked away and I got about 20 steps and was like fuck I should have got her to sign something that was probably pretty memorable for her though. yeah and I, it's like I was thinking it's like oh shit I should write her after that and be like hey I'm the guy who didn't get you to sign a book but I, I feel like it's probably close enough since I saw her in uh, April, I think, when whenever the March on Science was, which I, I think was sometime in April. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that that's still fresh enough that I can send her a letter and be like, hey, so I gave you a book of mine in D.C. Yeah. Hi, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm still... So I'm, I'm the type of person that when I go... Either when I have to call somebody or I have to go somewhere, I will rehearse in my head the things that I that I need to say, yeah. so I don't deviate. I don't <laughs> deviate from the script, and it doesn't turn out to be just a like painfully awkward for me conversation. Right, right. Um, so I'm still in the process of formulating in my head what it is I actually want to say to her, so mm-hmm. I don't just because even though I know it will be a letter, because I have to send her a letter, and I I can't just like call her up and be like, hey, Jane. Yeah. Um, I still want to have exactly what I'm going to say before I start writing it because I know that I, if I don't, I will sit there and just like write something and delete it yeah. and then delete the whole thing yeah. and then shut down my computer <laughs> and then open it up again. And... Um, so this is something, this is one of the, as people, I think my listeners know, I, I've mentioned this before that I sent out a little, a little questionnaire before all of my episodes um, just to get people in the in the mood to think and talk about poetry, and I tend to n- not ask questions from it, um, just because I like to see where the conversation goes. But mm-hmm. this is something that I've in- I'm interested in, and I don't because we've we've not had a whole lot of opportunities to sit down and like talk yeah. poetry. Um, but I'm curious as to what your poetic trajectory has been. Like, have there been any major shifts? in it has it been a pretty steady like once you started writing you just kind of continued to like when when did you start when was poetry like a an art a path maybe not necessarily a path like a pre-path for you i think the one thing that i started it started off being was like very expository it was just like trying to put as much out there as i could and yet when i first started doing that i was still just like super hiding from everything that I was saying, which is like awful fucking metaphors (laughs) and really generic, just pronoun garbage. Because you think like, okay, I'm putting this out there and I was like posting it on the internet and every once in a while I go back to my blog. Did you have a live journal or a Zanga? I did. I so had a live journal (laughs) for a really long time and I I think it's gone now. (laughs) But I think like initially I thought at some point I wanted to do like memoir-y type stuff, but from a younger age, I realized that everything I wrote was like super lyrical in some way, even when it was like sappy and terrible and I didn't know what I was doing. 
But I think that's something that I've tried to be consistent with throughout every stage of my writing. Like I always go back to that, not necessarily like rhyming or refraining or anything like that, but just having that element in there somewhere. I'm still really addicted to alliteration, I'll admit. It's hard not to do. You're like, oh, I'm the cleverest motherfucker out there. Like, look at these words. Just rolls off but, the <laughs> So it's really hard not to do that, but I think I have been trying to get away from it's hard for me to get away from the Bukowski thing still because mm. it, you go back and you read it and it's so raw and it's so honest and it's hard not to do that when you want to say something that's really important. And I actually had my readers for my thesis say, you need to get away from that. And at the same time, mm. I had the director of my thesis saying, you're hiding and you're not doing enough and you just need to say it. So I'm getting like these conflicting ideas while I'm trying to stay in it and trying to step away from it. Maybe not away, but just a different step in expository writing, okay. I guess. So I don't know that I've necessarily figured that out yet, but okay. I just, I'm tired of just saying, this is what I did and like using the word fuck or like basically somehow in the poem being like, fuck you, this is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I want to do it, I guess, in a, a softer way, but not a more confusing way way if okay. that makes any kind of sense like I want to yes. I want to make a shift from being blunt for blunt sake but still having that echo in there somewhere so that okay. it's like somewhat accessible I suppose which I know you... is like a word you're not supposed to use but no I think <laughs> well so I'm right now I'm kind of stuck between two two poets that do similar ish things but um, so I'm right now I'm kind of stuck between Charles Wright and Mary Oliver. Okay. Um, I'm beginning to lean a little more towards Charles Wright, and I don't really know why, but I'm just sort of running with it. Um, they both write relatively plainly, but I would say Charles is a little bit more. Uh, it's a little less accessible than Mary Oliver's is, because there's mm -hmm. never been a, a poem by Mary Oliver that I've read, and I'm like. Once I'm finished reading, like I don't know what the hell I just read. It's yeah. very, it's very straightforward. Very, um, I don't know, like accessible. Really feels, you know. It's yeah. Like, and she, both of them do what I've. So something that I've I've noticed and I've been getting to gravitate more towards, which I think is why Bukowski like flared up when he did for me in in my kind of reading history, that. I'm much more appreciative of poets that write into kind of poetic moments. Mm -hmm. That the poem is not net, like there's some standout and like on because Mary Oliver has some like fucking just ridiculous lines and just the, yeah. the things that she notices and the way that she sees stuff is just absolutely amazing. But there's not there are I think a lot more lyrical writers out there that the entire the entire poem is this sort of beautiful thing and. There are other writers that, like, it's the the way that you get to the moment is beautiful, but the moment is like when you're dropped in that place, you're just like, I got to put this book down and yeah. just think about my life for a little bit <laughs> yeah. because, like, what, you know, it, it taps in somewhere deeper in you. Mm -hmm. um, but, so Wright's works are, are riddled with that, but his is a, I feel like his writing is a little less accessible because he, he takes some liberties and some of his grammatical structure is kind of like you have to read a line a couple of times to get what he's like where he's kind of going with certain things um and there's a there's a level of 
um, I don't know, like carefreeness that he uses with words that chase me a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't get rid of that yeah. so much in my own writing. Um, but I feel like if you're, if you're trying to get a little, a little softer, maybe a little more accessible, I feel like Oliver might be a good place to just kind of hang out and see how she, cause she, hers is, she writes super expositorily and autobiographically and, you know, like she's out on a walk and she sees like a dogfish or yeah. a hagfish whatever it was that she was writing about um, or her fucking like her white moths poem it's like what like what <laughs> ugh, I don't I don't ugh. I feel guilty I have not read enough of her I've only like sort of hit the surface with Ooh. the stuff that we read during I guess time at Chatham but unfortunately I was only in a position where I could take like one readings and poetry class, which was all over the place and really great. Right. And then another lit class that was like exiled writers, which was amazing. But I feel like I'm still really lacking in literature as far as poetry is concerned. And I'm still like blown away by these people that everyone has read. Or sometimes I hear these names and I'm like, I should know who that is. Or I should have read that by now, but I just... Yeah. haven't so I feel like a lot of my uh, research and stuff to come is gonna need to be reading I just need to like well, hammer that down it's tough when like you have you have these canons which like there are a ton of different canons for writing and I know that there are a lot of contemporary or more modern writers or teachers that are trying to have it not just be a bunch of like white European or American mm-hmm. guys yeah um, and breaking in like more women of color and more LGBT writers or more you know just like people who have been traditionally left out of major anthologies. Right. And you know, like as as wide as your writing can be, just in general, I think is probably the the best. Just so you like the creativity class, you're exposed to as much as you can be exposed to. Mm-hmm. But it's I feel like there's that balance between reading things for the exposure and the knowledge of just like the cultural literacy of knowing who these pe- people are like ta Coates mm-hmm. or um, like Zora Neale Hurston um, but on the other hand the sort of like finding those writers that really that you really connect with and just spending a lot of time with them right because you like Oliver and Hirsch- Hirschfield might be the two that I think most people that I've most poets that I've that I know of or have encountered at least are aware of but mm-hmm. you know it's like I'm I'm deep into haiku I'm deep into like Leung Li and Bei Dao yeah. and some like really obscure Chinese writers um Lee Young Lee was just at Chatham and I, I missed him by like two days what he was there with like Cornelius Edie and uh what? shit one other person I can't I know oh, I know I God. freaking love him and I haven't even read all of his stuff yet but Book of My Nights is something oh, I yeah. read like once a year. Like it is so inexplicably powerful, yeah. and I was really disappointed. Behind my eyes, uh, Book of My Nights and Behind My Eyes are his, his two. I think he only has like one or two other collections out, but mm-hmm. those those two are like top yeah. top of the list for me. Um, yeah, but it's it's tough to like with the finite amount of time that you have for writing and to know. I mean, for reading and to know where you would be best served if it's a matter of digesting writers that you have some sort of affinity with or some sort of connection to to try to figure out how the hell they're doing the stuff that they're doing so that you can incorporate not what they're doing more of like there's a there's a quote 
by Basho that he wrote to one of his like his disciples in a letter that I've always kind of go back to when I'm thinking about just uh, not emulating the writers that you having having your kind of pantheon of writers but um, not trying to bite any of their style or any of your voice. So his yeah. his line is something along the lines of um, like don't don't follow the masters, seek what they sought. Mm-hmm. So that, it, and I've, I've noticed this with like Oliver and, and her, her way of seeing things and noticing things and recognizing that like I can't write like her because I don't see the way that she does, but yeah. I can be as open and as free and in gener- as, as generous and penetrating with the ways that I see the, like she is. So mm-hmm. I'm like doing, I'm, going i think heading in the same direction and the same destination that she's going to but i'm i'm going beyond the path that's kind of my own yeah path. um which again is tough like that sort of balance between um like using other writers as stepping stones to get to where you want to get to yeah um but not doing like not trying to just rip off not rip off but not trying to emulate their style yeah um which I think is, I, there's a lot of, like, in teaching, I think, in creative writing, there's the, the um, preoccupation with, like, finding your voice. Yeah. Which I think is both good and bad. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, like, um, Possessed by Space, I think, is, was the, f- the closest that I, I've gotten to kind of, like, an un- unadulterated and distilled version of my own writing. Yeah. Um, just because when I was out there, I, I like I brought I brought all these books thinking that I was going to read all this shit, ended up touching maybe twenty pages of one of them that wasn't <laughs> even like a poetry book. Yeah, and it really was sort of a it was a really neat and kind of at times terrifying experience to just sit there with my own like quiet on the inside and my own mm-hmm. words and figuring out how to put this shit together. Yeah, in a way that's like well, I mean, this is this is me. It's like there's nobody else, no other voice here but yeah. me, and just. That that fear of like is is this going to land? Is it going to is it going to be strong enough to do what it is that I'm I'm hoping that it that it does? Yeah, I mean I think that I I can't reiterate enough how much that book <laughs> definitely does that. I mean, and I I've heard so many comments from other people that that read it and were just like completely blown away by it. And I think you get that sense. Like I felt like I was you. I felt oh, like damn. I was like standing looking at a field or like just and in some way it's like that's not what the book is about looking at a field (laughs) by the way but it's like it has that feeling of you're even though you're not the only person there you're the only person there and it's kind of like you're seeing things you've seen before but they're they're totally different like they're flipped upside down in some weird way and I think that that comes across like I mean I can't, I really can't explain how well it comes across. I just remember reading that book and it just made me feel like, it made me feel there and I've never even fucking been to Nebraska. Yeah, that so. was, I, that's, that's really, encur- that's very encouraging to hear. So thank you, thank you for saying yeah. all that. But uh, that's, so I've, because of that book, I've recognized that I am a site-specific poet, which is yeah. like, I, I, I never, I think that I had the, I had the parts of it, but I didn't have the, like, I, I, I hadn't put them all together. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is what I do. Um, but that's, 
I, I love the idea, and this is, this is, the poetry that I seek out does this, is that, that sort of, um, the emotional transference, that you are getting someone else's experience and you're being put in this place that um, you are really just getting kind of inundated and washed over with whatever emotions or internal life or internal shit that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm beginning to notice that it's, again, that sort of balance in that line as both a writer and an editor that when I'm editing stuff to recognize that like when something is on fire and it's like this is an amazing fucking line but I would never fucking write something like this and I'm fighting every muscle in my fiber to try to correct like quote unquote correct it or yeah. like course correct it closer to stuff that I would like how I would say it yeah um and that's that's a really really fucking tough thing to do when you're sitting somewhere and you're like oh yeah this is a great line. Yeah. But maybe not have that. <laughs> when I was working with Anthony and his, like, he, he uses alliteration and, like, at, like all of the, like, the more uh, oral aspects of poetry. And mm -hmm. I, I tend to not. Yeah. Like, I try to get it as far away from that as possible. Yeah. And there are times, it's like, I would be reading some of his poems. It's like, ugh. Like, I want this to be, it's like, it's great, but I want this to be changed. Yeah. And I know you're not going to change it. <laughs> I have to be okay with that and yeah. just trust you. It's like, this is, I mean, this is you. This is not, this is not me. And I've gotten to the point where, um, unless I know the person's writing exceptionally well, mm -hmm. I tend to not offer suggestions of how they could correct things. Yeah. Just be like, oh, maybe use a different word here. Yeah. And not give them any possible words to use. Be like, yeah, maybe it feels a little not on fire as the rest of the stuff. So maybe just yeah. go back and look at that. Yeah. Um, but always defaulting to, especially when I'm, when I'm publishing stuff, like always defaulting to however, if the, if the person, if the author's okay with it and they've done, like, you know, I know that they've done close edits to it and they're okay mm -hmm. with it. It's like, all right, yeah, I'll run it. Yeah. You know, cause it's your work. Mm -hmm. it's like I'm just I'm making a, like the body of it. It's like you're you're providing the spirit and the soul or whatever yeah. the the internal shit. I think you it. definitely have to love what you publish, and especially like if you're closely copy editing or giving any kind of critique. I mean, if you don't feel like you like what the person is doing, yeah. then it's also difficult to say, okay, here's what you should do, or this is how I feel about it. It's kind of just like okay, this isn't going to change and I don't like it, <laughs> but I'm going to put it out there. Like, I think it's important to feel like really passionately yeah, about you that. Yeah, you have to be a champion for yeah. it. And I, I think that that's, I feel like that's come across when I'm at book festivals and I'm talking about other people's writing. Mm -hmm. um, like the other books that I published, not, not my own work that's out there. It's so much easier for me to talk about like your book or Anthony's book or the, the new collection that I have out. It's like, I'm, I'm so excited and I'm so in love with all of them. What is the new one again? Uh, it is a, um, it's called In Place of This. It is a collection of experimental, no, collab, no, experimental, no. How do I, how do I, it, collaborative experimental nonfiction. Okay. Um, so it is a, it, the book is set up as a dialogue between two, the two authors. Mm -hmm. And the source of the, like the text for it was called from emails, Facebook posts, mm -hmm. conversations, both real and imagined, which is where the ex experimental aspect 
of it comes in. Mm -hmm. um, and the, act, the fact that uh, Diana uh, like curated it into a more or less cohesive conversation that mm -hmm. like the, the different chunks of the conversation are not, it feels like it's a current, like it follows chronolo or chronologically, but the, the chunks of it happened at various times. Yeah. Um, but I love it. It is a really weird, amazing book, and it's like I, I could I could talk about it for for hours. Yeah. But I'm. It's one of those things. Like I'm. When when she posted up that she was looking for a publisher for it, I was like, whatever it is, because I know you and I know your work. Um, whatever it is that you have, I want to publish it because yeah. I, you know, like I I can't. What like whatever you come with is going to be amazing. I I feel like that with all the authors that I've worked with so far, um, that y'all have all come to the table with just, you know, like, I, there's, the amount of editing that I have to do is minimal, you know. Which is always good. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and it's, not only is it, I mean, less work for me, obviously, but just that there's definitely a sense in a, everyone has, has so far come with something that's, it's there. It mm -hmm. may need a little bit of tweaking, just a tiny bit of polish, but, you know, like, it's the work that, and which makes me feel encouraged and just, like, in love with the people that I work with, that they're writing, it's like, they're, they're there. Yeah. You know, it's like, they, they've got it. And it's kind of like, I guess, similar to the feeling that you have that, you know, you, you feel bad that you're the one who published it, <laughs> uh, Possessed by Space, that there's, so, like, um, the books that I've published, it's like I, like I love that I've I've done them, but I feel like like you, it's like you you could have submitted this, like somewhere else. Yeah. And like I'm fortunate enough to be the one to have created a version, like an, an incarnate version of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but. It's a great feeling. <laughs> it really is. That's. I don't know. There's a. It's been interesting to kind of track my progress through writing poetry to the point of editing and publishing poetry. And I don't know if you experienced this when you um, when you were working on my book, but mm -hmm. like when I was just writing poetry, it felt like there were aspects that I was missing. Mm -hmm. um, for you, do you like when you were editing and working on that type of stuff? Um, were you an, an editor dealing with like the literary magazine while you were at Chatham, yeah, Chatham too? Yeah, I, uh, I worked two semesters on um, the Fourth River literary okay. magazine. And I, that was the first time I'd done that, and it was super eye-opening. It's like you do that thing where you start reading the submissions, and you're like, oh, my God, this is awful, for whatever reason, whether it be a really weird long cover letter or it's just formatted or you can't believe someone made a spelling error or even just like the style was so wrong for the place it was being submitted. And then you kind of go back and you're like, I've made all of these mistakes and never again. Yep. So there's always that moment where you see it and then you think about what you've done and you realize like we've all done it we've all submitted to the wrong journal we've yep. all saw a mistake <laughs> after it was like too late or oh yeah you know. I, when i <laughs> this happened to me recently i w i applied to the uh, stegner fellowship at stanford mm -hmm. and in the cover letter i spelled stanford with a d 
No, oh, no. Because I just, you know, like I'd been looking at it, it, you know, like on the website, getting the the guidelines and like writing things, and I just, I totally missed it. Yeah. And then I sent it, and I was like, oh god, no. <laughs> so I sent them an email and be like, hey, so I made a like minimal but really embarrassing spelling error in my cover letter. Is there any possible way that I can change it? And yeah. then they replied back. I was like, no. It, like once it's once we get it we we can't accept it and I was like okay well yeah. thanks but the when they sent me a reply email they misspelled my first name yeah and I was like if this was intentional nicely played. yes it's like I, I can't <laughs> now or even yeah it's like I don't are you doing this on purpose or is it just an oversight in yeah. which in either case it's like okay I feel yeah. a little bit better about yeah. this um, but like when you were doing the the editing work. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do you feel like there was some aspect of your writing that got filled in at that point, or it, like would you would you pursue uh, creative editing as a possible like did it did it unearth or light some sort of passion that you didn't know that you had, or is it just one of those things like yeah I did it. Uh, I think it, I think it absolutely did inform, like, I think there are a lot of people that have that dream of like, I'm going to be the poetry editor of this literary magazine, which like a lot of, you know, positions, they're not even like paid positions. They're just kind of the prestige and the reference. And like, you don't realize that until you've graduated and you're a hundred grand in debt or whatever. But, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, I found that oddly I love copy editing which might be weird to some people but when i i hate any little nitpicky error and when i feel like i'm the only one to see it like we would have groups Mm. for each genre so Mm -hmm. for the first semester we had like a ton of people in the class so i think for the poetry section we probably had seven or eight people reading for the poetry submissions that came in and nine times out of ten i was the only person seeing like what to me were glaring right, yeah. errors. And then mm-hmm. I thought I have to stay here forever because no <laughs> one's going to do this. <laughs> so it was like, it was very rewarding then, but I will say also got frustrating the second semester I did it. Cause we had a much smaller class. We had three people in the poetry section, Ooh. so much poetry coming in and readers that were irresponsible, like outside of the class we, that we got as help that were just not really looking at anything closely. So I think there's, I love to do that and I love to make everything like the best it can possibly be. But at the same time, I mean, if I had to do that all day long for every day yeah, of my I life, imagine could get I don't old. know that I could, that I could necessarily handle the proofreading aspect, but I love reading people's work and I was blown away by most of it, but I feel like it was, it was a harsh divide. Like it was either some of the best poetry I'd ever read or it was just, the absolute worst, not ready to be submitted, yeah. which we've all done. We've submitted stuff. I'm like, I cannot believe yep. I submitted this. But it was cool to like figure out that stark difference and to be able to see it so clearly. And I mean, I would love to be able to do that. And I actually applied, you know, like a little dreamer for the <laughs> Grey Wolf uh, oh. had an opening for <laughs> yeah. like an editorial assistant last year or something like that. And in my mind, I'm like... Why can't? Why right. can't that yeah. be me? Yeah, I've, I've applied to Coffee House Press when they've had openings. There was God, there was an opening at Pin America that was a um, like uh, editor for their magazine and also like head of their chapbook contest thing. And I was yeah. looking at like the experience and the things that they required. I was like, oh shit, I've I actually have all this experience, and I think I could like I think I could do this job. Yeah. 
And when I sent the email, when I sent off like my my application packet, I was like, God, like I I've, I've never felt better about a job application. And yeah. then you know, like never heard back from them. And then <laughs> like you know, month a month or two later, see that they've hired somebody. I'm like, Fuck. That's the best when they just don't tell right. you, yeah, and then God. just be like, oh, the position's closed. Like, thanks. there's um. <laughs> So I've been applying to the Vermont Studio Center for a fellowship or a residency for a long time. And they have, they're, they're neat in that they have like work, essentially work residency positions where, you know, you are um, like a studio, not assistant, but you're kind of in charge of setting up studios for people. There's like a development person that met people and did copy editing and stuff. And yeah. one of those positions like, oh shit, I actually, I think I could do this. And I applied to it and kept checking back. And he was like, you know, when am I going to hear back from them? And then one of the times that I checked, they're like, on their website, that has like, you know, meet our new whatever position. I was yeah. like, you bastards. <laughs> like, you could have just dropped me an email and be like, yeah, no. Yeah. I will tell you somewhere that you should look because I feel like it is very place-based and it's turned over three times in the last three years really is johns hopkins university their press they have, have an applied. editorial assistant have you okay i've applied, I have applied every <laughs> single time i hassled the editor to no end just kept emailing him and trying to talk to him and all of this stuff in the lat the most recent time he said they filled it with somebody close by. So I don't know if that means internally or literally uh, in, the like in the city of Baltimore. But I totally thought of you and I was like, you should just be like stalking that <laughs> campus, waiting for that person to quit because it's not a lot of money, but it would be a really good reference. And it's an academic journal or yeah. press or whatever. And I mean, I don't know. But yeah, I would just be staked the, out there waiting. I don't know if it so one of those positions, like one of the, the editorial, like in on the literary mag, I think, was a guy who graduated from UB, mm-hmm. um, and he posted uh, somehow. I, th- I think he posted to the UB group. It's like, hey, I'm leaving this position. Um, you know, like if you're interested, email me about it and, or message me about it, and I can, you know, like I can tell you kind of what to expect. So I did that with him, and I he even told me that I could drop his name in like my cover letter. Nice. Still, did, I never fucking heard back yeah. from him. So I don't, I don't know. I've also I don't I don't want to spread rumors, but I've heard I don't know if it's for like the creative aspects, like the creative uh, editorial positions or mm-hmm. like the larger academic press stuff. But I've heard some not great things about work environment there. Oh. But I have a, uh, so Sarah Lynn is working yeah. in like the, um, as a copy editor in like the health, like the medical school. She loves it. So yeah. I don't know, it may have been at the time, the person I was talking to was not having a good time, or yeah. like they they specifically weren't a good fit there. I don't know, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's tough when you're like, I could do this job. Yeah, exactly. And like, like uh, the, I, it's funny the last the last couple of job interviews that I like actually have gotten to the interview stage. Mm-hmm. I've not submitted a cover letter, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I feel like cover letters might be like all the t- all the other positions that I've submitted cover letters to I've not heard back from yeah or I've heard back no and then the two two recent positions that I was just like eh just upload a CV yeah like, fuck it I don't I don't feel like writing a cover, the cover letter cover letter is the worst part and no one reads them I'm like, just gonna put that out there yeah. I don't think anyone reads them so I never understand yeah, why they have to required. be original but then like close enough to fit it's like fuck it yeah and those are the two jobs that I got like a callback from like, yeah wh- then like wh- <laughs> Why? Why do you even want this then? Or like, yeah. I have like a memory of like six months of time where I was actually 
Googling every single position's <laughs> mission statement and yeah. somehow working it into, mm-hmm. you know, not hearing anything back. Right, yeah. And then I got mad and I'm like, I'm just going to start like writing emails until someone responds me, responds to me or call them or leave voicemails or whatever. And it actually got to the point where I was just like amusing myself. I was like, I'm a janitor right now <laughs> at the school in which I graduated from, like just being, because no one was responding. And right. even then, a couple of times I got a response. It wasn't like, haha, very funny. We hired someone else. But they would just say, the position has been filled. Right. But it's like, yeah. what do you have to do to get someone to acknowledge your existence? Uh, I don't know. It's I've, insane. I've been learning more and more that it seems like it's more about the people that you know that will get you into a position. And Absolutely. then it's what you know that will keep you in yep. said position. Mm-hmm. Um, which... Is, ter- is like crap for people who can't, who don't network. So I, there was an episode that I did that dealt a little bit with networking. And mm-hmm. according to like Anne-Marie and Anthony, I apparently network very well, mm-hmm. but it tends to not lead to like, you know, positions in places. It's just like, oh, I met a really fucking cool people. And I'm yeah. going to have like a correspondence with them. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, great. I, I love inter- actually interacting with on a deep and meaningful level with mm-hmm. artistic people. But, um, yeah, there's, I don't know enough people in positions like at Grey Wolf or, you yeah. know, Coffee House that are like, yeah, we have, oh, you know, it would be great for this position. That dude I met that one time yeah. that talked to me for like five minutes. I should just see what he's up to now. I am the worst at networking. <laughs> I had only gone to AWP that one time when it was in LA last year. And I love going to like the panels, the readings, the discussions for the most part were just amazing. I couldn't believe the stuff that I was finding out. Mm-hmm. And then it's like every day I'm like a little kid trying to like jump into double Dutch ropes, trying to go to that book fair. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I was there for four solid days I could not make myself do it. The one day I left a reading and I had to like walk back through the center and there was someone specifically I wanted to talk to and I don't even remember who it was at this point, but, and this just deterred me for the rest of the time I was there. I came around the corner. This guy jumps out from behind his booth and is like, surprise! And he scared the fuck out of me and I looked at him and he's like, good, now that I have your attention, I'm going to tell you about this press. And I was like, no, you're not. And I walked away and I never went back to the book fair. So like that was the time, like my last semester where I should have been making connections and networking and figuring shit out. And I I was terrified. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. And that's like, (laughs) so there are, there are guys that I know that are are people that I know. um, I don't want to gender any of them that are phenomenal, like barkers that are, they Mm -hmm. can just like, they can wheel and deal and like bring (sighs) people in and like, it's, it, I've noticed that it's, it's a lot easier for me, like going back to the whole script thing, it's a lot easier for me when I'm, act, when I'm sitting at a table and people come up. It's yeah. like, okay, I know how this conversation typically goes. Yes. Um, I know why you're here, and I know the things that I can say that can potentially keep you here longer. Exactly. Um, so when I, when I was walking around AWP, one, it, it helps to have somebody that's very gregarious. So I, I took a couple of laps with Anthony, which is great, because yeah. he would just fucking, he'll talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, but I... I tended to, like, if something caught my eye, I would just start talking about, like, the book and try to get, like, that way in, mm-hmm. which led to some really interesting conversations. But it's also nice to have, like, if you have a presence there and you're looking at something, it's like, oh, I really love the, like, the layout or, like, the aesthetic of these books, and then you can start, like, talking. Like, oh, hey, by the way, I, like, I'm, I have some stuff. If you want to, like, after a bit, there was a bunch of people who was like, yeah, if you want to, like, come by and check out some things or... Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so there was, like, 
two, maybe two people that came by my table that I that I met that was like, yeah, hey, I'm I'm selling stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them actually ran a press that I might. So I've I don't know if you know this, but um, I've mentioned this a couple of times in the podcast that I I don't submit like anywhere. Okay. Just because I I don't know. There's I've come to recognize relatively recently that it's like the trust thing that I want to have when I'm when you're reading a poetry of mine I want to have complete control over the experience of how you encounter that poem yeah because I want everything that that, every aspect of that experience to lend itself to some to some end Mm -hmm. that I can orchestrate Um, but I actually found a press a hummingbird press that Mm -hmm. has a literary magazine that is totally in line with my aesthetic and I'm, I'm going to submit to them but like I was walking by and I saw one of the books that they were that they had published and I literally stopped in my tracks and I went back and looked at it and just started talking with the, one of the editors and then he came by and bought a copy of Anthony's book because apparently this guy also writes writes fibs and I was like, who knew that there was somebody else who wrote in this style? Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. But yeah, there's it's God, it's it's in, in, in situations like that I definitely had like a. like a a script in my head that I tried to keep to as closely as possible until the conversation was like, yeah, okay, I can actually talk with you as a person now because we've broken whatever weird ice that needs to be broken and I'm comfortable now instead of just, I can't, I can't do it. I love, I love extroverts because they, they will come up and talk to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It does. It makes it a lot easier except for the people who are like sitting at their table and then jump out and scare you. Yeah. That, or you're walking by and you're kind of eyeballing it and you're like, I really want to go over there. And then they say something weird, like, Oh, we don't bite. Like, don't say that to me. I'm never going to walk over there. Right. Yeah. Like you made it weird. Yeah. (laughs) I was interested and now I'm not. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's one of the interesting things of like, when somebody comes up and knowing when and how to engage, because mm-hmm. there's been um, some of the, the book fests that I've done, like people will come up and look at my stuff. And then, you know, if I'm, I was sitting next to Mike and Ian at Mason Jar Press for book fest and then go over to them and like Mike would start, you know, like reeling them in. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, yeah, I kind of wish that it was more like that. But another part of me is like, well, like I know when I come up to book like tables and I just if I just want to look at a book I just want to look at a book. Yeah. Like I don't I don't want to engage because then I feel like obligated that I have to right. deal like I have to get out of this transaction gracefully which usually involves me buying a book. Yeah. Um but you know like I've gotten to the point where I can I can pretty much suss out like if, if people come up I'll usually give them like you know feel free to break anything up. Um, if you want the spiel, I'll give you the spiel, but I'll give you some time to just kind of check things out. Yeah. And sometimes they'll ask for it. Other times they'll just, they'll kind of peruse and they're like, okay, thanks. And they leave. And like, yeah. All right. As long as we both know the kind of like the ground rules for this interaction, I'm mm-hmm. okay with this. Yeah. But. Yeah. I found that for sure. Like just sitting, like manning the, uh, fourth river table. I never said a word to anyone. And for the most part it worked out because when they had a question, I could answer it. Right. Yeah. But I would basically I didn't, look say, inviting. I didn't say anything beyond hello. Right. And it worked out, yeah. you know, and people, a lot more people I feel like came by and were way more normal and not nervous. <laughs> and you can tell the people from a mile away that are like me trying to walk through the book fair. Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, I am not going to make eye contact with this person because right. they might stop by and be interested. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if, you, if you, and you can kind of like, there's that level of having to, to recognize like you, like you said, it's like where the people are. It's like if they're super nervous and they just want to get through and mm-hmm. it's like they don't want to talk, 
I think because I'm typically that person, I can I can get that a little bit more. And then the people who want to talk will tend to like just start asking you shit. You're like, okay, I can yeah. I can deal with. I'm talking about books. I'm on my t- home turf. Yeah. I'm comfortable with this as opposed yeah. to just be like, I oh that's mm, these, this paper feels nice. <laughs> well, you have a really eclectic background too because you've done the you know the layout you've made the actual yeah, books so with can, your goddamn talk, hands. It's yeah. like you know about like <laughs> stitching binding. Like yeah. I wouldn't know where to start. I'd be like, yeah, I copy edited and this person does not know how to use a comma. <laughs> you know, like how interesting is that for a I've actually but, at the last like the last two things that I've done like book festy things that I've done. I've actually tried to show people how I do the binding of the books. Yeah. Um, because some people, I'm beginning to find like more often than not, or there's a there's a larger percentage of people than I would expect that I actually want to know about like how the book is put together. Yeah. Um, so I usually have a couple of sheets of paper around and I try to like fold things and like talk about like, oh, it's a modified double pamphlet stitch. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you don't know what a pamphlet stitch is? I'll show you. And I'll like punch holes <laughs> like with my pen and like be like, you got through here and then got to pop out and come through here. But when you're dealing with end pages, you can make it look like a W and sh- like nest the, the text, the, the signatures in here and do the same thing. We just got to go through all of them. And some people get it. Other people, yeah. they kind of glaze over like, oh, this is way too much information than did I was expecting. Did you start doing that at Ubon or did you already kind of like have that? background oh, with like no. making uh, stuff. Meredith's bookmaking class was the very first time that I ever made uh, well in uh, I think in experimental forms I may have dabbled with like a book or mm-hmm. two and then in Kendra's class for like the oh, yeah. final thing I, I put together something but uh, Meredith's class was really the first time I was like oh I think I enjoy doing yeah. this <laughs> and then it was the slow process of because we did um, like a linked stitch and that's what I did with the first edition of my thesis, just because it was like four signatures, and I, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, the paper that I was using, that I was printing on, it would have made things like the, the individual signatures way too fucking thick. Yeah. To just do it, it's two. Mm-hmm. So I broke all of them down into four. Um, but now that I'm getting my innards printed by another company, um, Spencer, shout out to you guys. I love Spencer. They're, They're amazing. So, like Jess is absolutely the best person ever to talk to about absolutely. doing book stuff. Um, but now that I'm getting, I'm have been getting them to print like the signatures, and they their paper is a lot um, thinner. I guess it's like a it's a thinner weight than mm-hmm. the stuff that I use, and um, so I can get away with having just things as two signatures. Yeah. Uh, but it took me, like I think that we did the pamphlet stitch in Meredith's class. But I was looking around. I think for one of the books that I was trying, I think it was maybe for your book, trying to figure out how to do it. And I found somebody online that did a double pamphlet stitch and then somebody who did that that had like the end pages on the inside. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh shit, I love the way this looks. And it's like, it's, it's annoying to get everything lined up, like all the individual sheets of paper lined up when you're like trying to stitch it. But yeah. it's, it's so fucking easy to do. And mm-hmm. it gives you that little bit of like pop of color right in the, the center of, yeah. the, of the two. And there's like there's no there's no glue you have to do with the signatures to get them to like stay together. You just got to glue the end pages onto the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but yeah, all of that happened because of Meredith's class. Like I didn't know bookmaking was a thing that like the hidden passion. I was like I I can't not do this. Yeah, that's surprising because I don't know just how 
perfectly like professional. <laughs> like these were just, I was amazed. I was like, I, I couldn't do this, but also I just know myself and I know I don't have the patience to even yeah. want to learn. Like I would, I would want to want to know how to do that, yeah. but I don't think I could well, ever actually like, pull it off. So as when you like, you're, um, for lack of a better term, better term, analyst when it comes to like copy editing. Yeah. I have that, that same, uh, I don't know, bent when it comes to layouts. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've recognized that there are certain very few and kind of far between aspects of myself that lend themselves, that lend itself toward, or like aspects of me that would be leaning towards obsessive or compulsive. Mm -hmm. And doing layouts is one of those things that I'm super fucking compulsive about. Because yeah. ev like every... <laughs> And it sucked when I when I was printing like the first two books that I did I printed everything out and there was a there was a glitch in the InDesign version that I was using that wouldn't allow me to do um, like print pamphlet like the presets whatever it is that mm -hmm. I needed to do I couldn't do that in it so I had to take all of the pages break them up into like the front side of the signature and the back side of the signature go into InDesign and do individual pages that were the size of spreads and then copy paste everything from the original file onto the new file into yeah. like in the certain setup of having like if you're looking at the back of the page having like page one and page 12 mm -hmm. and then page two and page 11 and then whatever it is and then on the inside having like the corresponding pages for the signature yeah um but you know like i wouldn't do things on grids so it'd be you know like this thing would be x uh like point would be like 1.0872 <laughs> so everything had to be like that yeah. and then I had to yeah. figure out what the hell that would be on the other side of the spread and it was just like I'm oh doing this because I love it but <laughs> but it would be like all like and I would be obsessively like every if it, if I would put it into like I would export it as a PDF and I would look through it and make sure that everything is fucking on the same line yeah and everything is in the right like just go through the the pages and making sure everything like there was no deviation anywhere for for anything yeah um which so far i've had no i've had no typos i have had the only the only weird stuff that i've had so far has been in the second edition of uh the now empty sky mm -hmm. there was one page number somehow that got out of format and um the epigraph was not the way that I wanted it to be, but mm -hmm. I can, I can, those are easy changes to make. Um, but yeah, so far I've had like no issues with that. And I've seen some other like presses that, you know, like the, the typo that stinks through like the weird formatting thing. And like, yeah, it's like, Oh, that shouldn't be there, but I have a book <laughs> now that does that. And, okay. You can't like, you can't catch. I actually, for the, for the now empty sky, I, <laughs> this took me, I, don't, I have not. I have not told anybody this on air. So this is you're getting a world. You're getting a <laughs> scoop for this episode. Um, for the now empty sky on one of the, it was the, I think the middle of the second signature, page thirty-seven. That's mm -hmm. the the page number that was somehow out of format. Mm -hmm. um, and when I saw it, I was like, I oh shit, this makes me feel super unprofessional that this thing is in there now. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out what to do with it because I didn't, I didn't want it to be something that people just noticed and not recognizing that I had noticed it mm -hmm. as well. So I decided to um, get a marker color, a marker that matched the in-page uh, 
cover as close as I could get it and go through and circle all of them. Oh my god. So, and I, like, I've done Inso, which is like a Japanese calligraphy um, thing where you do, it's a, you draw a circle in a single stroke. Yeah. So I was like, well, I haven't done any of these in a while. So all of the circles, it's like, this is just a little Inso practice for me. <laughs> but it was like, it took me probably four or five trips to individual um, art stores around Baltimore to find mm-hmm. the pen. And I'd bring like, I had my little my little tear of the in page and like would mark and like hold things up and try to get there the should marker. be some good places there because doesn't like Micah have a crazy art store that would probably have like everything I, you could ever dream of having I actually I found it at the Blick store what used to be mm-hmm. Utrecht okay um and I went in there and I like, oh Utrecht's I, not there anymore they got, well Utrecht as a company got bought out by Blick oh okay. so the, I, I think didn't the, know that. I think the store might still be Utrecht but it's it's yeah. it's owned by somebody else now yeah um. And I went in there and I had like three or four different pins that I was looking at or different markers. And I was like, I was narrowing it down. And one of the guys was like, asked if I need any help. I was like, no, I was just trying to match this color. And he was like, oh, hmm. So he was pulling out stuff and we were trying to match it. Um, and then I found one that was pretty good. And then I saw, like, I kept seeing different marker displays. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. there's another like, like 30 blues I got to go look at. <laughs> and I found it. I fucking <laughs> found it oh my god uh, after like i found one i was like god this is this is pretty close i think you can get away with this and i found the other marker display i was like fuck but i got it yeah um so now like every one of those books every one of the the first run of the second or i guess the second edition all of the books um will have that mark on yeah. it to let people know that i know that i messed up <laughs> but i can it's not it's and that's something that with designing um I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but any designers that are out there are beginning designers. Um, if there's a, and even artists, whatever. Like, yeah. If you make a mistake, just lean fucking into it. Yeah, own it. Um, yeah, so that was the thing. It's like, this is a design choice now. It's like, it's going to be weird, but I'm going to draw attention to it because it's weird. But yeah. it's now, like, it's somehow integrated to the rest of the book. Yeah, it's, it's like a completely different element now that people are going to be like, I've never seen this before. Right, yeah. And now everybody who, who buys one of those copies of that, like, the second edition will have, mm-hmm. like, the weird, unique... The special edition. Yeah, and there's actually, <laughs> there's a couple of the second edition of Blue Mornings that when I was doing the um, the rubber stamp for the cover... yeah. Some of them kind of got away from me. Yeah. But I, there's like two that I'm gonna market as the like I was too drunk to do this. But that's versions. perfect. Right. Yeah. Because it picture. fits the book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They should all just be askew. Like nothing should look <laughs> right at all. Like they should just all be drunkenly stamped on there. Yeah. So there, there's one that I have that's like I uh, that I'm, that it's definitely the I I had too much wine yeah. for this. That, um, <laughs> But again, it's like because I hand stamp all of them, yeah. there's that element of like, I want this to look as professional as I can get it, but I'm also kind of on a time crunch. Yeah. And like, it just, I, my mom rubber stamp, like would do rubber stamping, scrapbooking stuff. And I yeah. always kind of, you know, would poke fun at her, like, you know, a little bit of fun at her, what yeah. she was doing. And then it's like, that, that's just like super nerve wracking. And like, it's not, <laughs> it's tough to get that, to get like the, the correct amount and distribution of ink onto your stamps so that when you place it, it doesn't have this yeah. weird, like, bubbling and gunk somewhere. Yeah. Well, that's why you have to drink to do it. <laughs> there are actually a couple that, like, I, I did, I would go, like, I would hit, hit it with one pass. And it's mm-hmm. like, ooh, oh, God, I think I got to do that again. And then I would go do it again. I'm like, oh, I made it worse somehow. It's so much more interesting <laughs> to me, though. I would rather have a book that I knew was not just right. mass printed, you right. know? Like, just yeah. to have that little 
element, even if it's just like slightly off kilter. Yeah, I think that's so cool. You know, it's the the handmade element of the handmade yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, fuck, I feel like we've <laughs> deviated tremendously. <laughs> which those of you who have listened to my podcast know that I'm no stranger and no uh, no enemy of tangents. Um, I do feel like I can I could reel it in a little because I have a question about a question that was on let me have the it. list that you said you were going to ask me, and I'm like. I want to like beat you okay. like out on this just because I don't want to screw this up when okay. you ask me. So I want to ask the question is what does your internal Ooh, landscape yeah. look like? So so, so I'm curious since, about that. Uh, my episode with Sharia, um, this has become a standard thing that I ask people mm-hmm. um, just because I'm curious. And this is, I feel like everyone that I've asked this about or asked this to, um, when I encounter their work or their writing, like it makes sense the way that they describe what's going on the inside for them. So, yeah. so is what your is your question just like what what I mean? I by guess that, or? when I thought about it, I'm like, how do people typically answer this, okay. or is there a right? Not no. that there's a right way, but like I wonder like if it's about like how you feel if it is specifically like to the vibe of your work or just like sort of about your like weird personality in yeah, general like, so or just like for me it's a it's a I'm I've not found a better way to to ask this or to to uh, verbalize it for me it's more of like when you so I, I have a very strong internal image mm-hmm. um, like Badlands South Dakota style, Great Plains, maybe a tree or two. Yeah. N- nothing else there. Yeah. Just like the wind and the sky and the land. Yeah. Um, occasionally there'll be like a house with one room, or I guess like a stu- essentially like a studio apartment just out there. Yeah. Uh, there's a fire pit with logs. Um, sometimes I am walking around on the prairie and I'm in the body that's walking around in the prairie. Sometimes I am the prairie itself and there's nothing. Yeah. And sometimes I am watching myself wander around on the prairie. Okay. So it's, but for me, that's like, whenever I think about, um, like internally, if I were to just, if I were to, to categorize, like when I'm not thinking about anything, not doing anything, just kind of my natural state on the inside, mm-hmm. like wherever it, like whatever vibe I pick up or whatever, like the, the, first or the strongest image that comes to mind when I'm just kind of dealing with what's in what takes place inside of myself yeah. that's what I mean by internal landscape okay so other some people have an, so have answered with actual other landscapes mm-hmm. uh, Shreya's was a crazy sci-fi planet that was populated with other people uh-huh. which blew me that's why I started asking yeah because she, awesome. she mentioned that I was like what they can be populated because she when she she I think I wanted hopefully I get this right but she was saying that when she writes there's like different voices that she hears or that come up yeah um, and those are the people that have, that have popular the the, the um, persons that have populated her world mm-hmm. that she interacts with and I was like this is mind-boggling to me because for me there's nothing yeah it's like I'm barely there most <laughs> of the time um, Sarah Lynn's was like a geode mm-hmm. um, Mary's was like swirling, like thick, sweet, like it, it turned out that it was frosting, but like okay. like red and kind of uh, purple swirls. Yeah. Of just like this thick, colory stuff. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm sort of just like whenever whenever you think about what your like emotional internal whatever feels like or looks like or sounds like that's 
kind of where the what I was looking for. Okay. And I've talked to some people and they have even either never thought about it or don't have the vocabulary yet to kind of describe what it is that's mm-hmm. that's happening on the inside. So if yeah. you, if you did or you knew, you lay it on me. But if not, <laughs> it's cool. I wrote one word, okay. and I will preface a little bit saying that I feel like this is very specific to where I am today. Okay. I just wrote the word apocalypse, <laughs> okay. and I think it just, like, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I just thought, like, right now, I, I am so flipped sort of upside down in life, even though I have done all the back and forth, like kind of circling back around to like what we were talking about, mm-hmm. I think before we actually even started the the true episode, but kind of just so many things, so many places at once, not really knowing what the right decision is. And in my mind today, like for, that was the first thing I wrote. And, it, and I was just like thinking like, fucking like Kurt Russell escape from LA like that kind of just like fire and fucking brimstone like I don't know why but that that's the first thing that okay. I thought at this point even though I wouldn't say it's necessarily reflected in my writing that way at least not yet mm-hmm. but that has been like my general feeling over like the last week okay. so that could change but that's where I'm at so right that would, now. That would be I think that you were the first person that has brought up the possibility of internal landscapes changing Mm -hmm. it may have been it may have gone unsaid with other people that i've talked to but like for me my experience of once i figured out that's what it was for the inside for me it's like that's probably the one of the most consistent aspects about myself is like Mm -hmm. that whatever that is and i've i've seen it manifest in a lot of different aspects of my life but that's sort of like that's close to the core of me so i am i've never really thought about the fact that they could shift and change, although that makes complete and total sense. So I'm, I'm curious if, like, I would be interested to revisit this mm-hmm. in, like, however long, to just to see if that's, like, if that's where you're situated now, or mm-hmm. if that's there's some aspect of, of that that is being amplified now, but yeah. is always sort of like that, whatever, because you know, like. Apocalypses can take very different, you know, you have like Cormac McCarthy just like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, You have the fallout stuff where, you know, it's like, is it, is it just after the apocalypse and everyone's dead and struggling? Is it like uh, significantly afterwards where like something, some major shit went down, the people are rebuilding? Is Mm -hmm. it like the nature has reclaimed all this stuff and, you know, it's just sort of, you know, like post whatever, but it's you know, peaceful and stable yeah. and yeah. So for for you right now, does it does it feel like it's any in any trajectory of the apocalypse? Like, is it apocalypse? <laughs> it, the, the apocalypse is going on now, or is it the has happened and it's the aftermath of it? <laughs> it's very fiery in my mind. Okay. <laughs> right now, so I probably feel still like still going on. <laughs> it's at a certain height, <laughs> I think. But I also think it's interesting how you even talk about you know an apocalyptic setting on a spectrum because I didn't think about that because the first thing that came to my mind was sort of like the chaos of Mm -hmm. that and not really knowing where I'm gonna get out just yet but I that that brings me peace your uh (laughs) your different stages of that I feel much better now yeah well because that's I mean (laughs) I mean I imagine at the time and if we if we ever live through an apocalypse it will probably be I think we will 
I kind of hope we will and hope we don't, but I think we will. Yeah, I I don't know. It's one of those, like, if we do, I hope it's not that bad. Yeah. It's like, I want, like, the things that need to change, they should change. But I hope that it's, like, it's, I hope that it's not super terrible. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, there's shit going on now that people are living through that is absolutely horrendous. Oh, yeah. Um, and I really, I guess I shouldn't minimize, and I, it's probably speaking from a place of, like, I don't want, I don't want my life to change that drastically. Yeah. Um. Other than like maybe going in the woods and living for a while and <laughs> just rolling around making music, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it's kind of like uh, the death card in tarot that there's mm-hmm. all this really negative connotation of it that it's you know, it's like oh it's death mm-hmm. and you know death in general has this like really negative kind of final sort of. Like, that's it. And mm-hmm. it's this terrible thing that you have to struggle and fight against. Yeah. And in, from my understanding in tarot, death is not necessarily death, but it, it's change. Mm-hmm. Like, the tower is usually, is, is the sort of, like, this is a major disruption, terrible force. But death is, like, it's just, there's some aspect of change. And there's, it can be a, potentially a renewal that, mm-hmm. you know, because, um, like, death is not necessarily terrible all the time and you know like that sort of like when um prairies or whatever burn or forests burn and that's the only way that certain trees can can propagate is that they need that sort of like it just you need that that kind of like reset yeah um so but i'm i would be interested to to revisit this to see yeah i that i am too (laughs) (laughs) so we are coming up to two hours um I'm starting to get lightheaded because I think I need to eat. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been a little jittery from the coffee and the bit of Bailey's perhaps as well. I was trying, it's kind of leveling yeah, that out. Yeah, even it out. Yeah, I feel, I feel good about this. Um, but the, the only other question that I typically ask, usually mm-hmm. at the end of the, the episode, is do you have any questions for me? Is there any, anything on any, any topic, any spance of anything that you've wanted to know about me or that you've wanted me to answer that I potentially do or do not know about? Um... I don't know, this might be a little bit generic and like hyper-specific to what we're doing right now, but what really, um, was there a moment that inspired you to want to have these conversations with people about poetry in particular? Like, did you just like find yourself talking to people and being like, we should record this and people want to hear it? Or did it come from someplace else? I, so, I don't know if it was necessarily a single moment that led me to this. I'm actually trying to figure out why the hell I started this in the first place. Like, mm-hmm. wh- like when, like the, p- the pinpoint of like, yeah, I should probably start doing this. Yeah. Um, I think, cause I mean, it was like a, a year ago and I think I was really just looking for um, something to do to try to get me more in contact with like the, the larger literary community. Cause I, at any given time and left to my own devices, I live a, <laughs> probably unhealthily insular life. Um, I have be, have somehow evolved into a crazy homebody mm-hmm. recently. It's the best. Yeah, it really is. But I do feel like there's, I want to be more in contact and more connected to the kind of larger, just like art conversation and yeah. the literature conversation more specifically and then poetry more specific than that. And I in thinking about ways that I could do that, that would be, that would require effort on my part, but not 
something that was Herculean that I would probably never follow through with mm -hmm. or something that would be so far out of my comfort zone that I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't sustain this. Yeah. And I was thinking about, um, just like a podcast would be an easy way that I could kind of disseminate the things like, you know, just conversations and stuff. And mm -hmm. the, the reason that I, I focused on poetry is that, like, I was reading a bunch of stuff, just like how to start a podcast and mm -hmm. what's the best way. And that one of the, I think some of the, the websites that I found, I think specifically the WikiCal that I found on yeah. how to how to do a podcast or how to start a podcast was um, to have a specific topic that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. and that got me thinking about what's something that I at least know a relatively fair amount of that I could talk for however long, or just what would be the most feasible way to get the most episodes out of something that not that would not have a an automatic like end date that I've exhausted the, all the things that I can talk about right. and that got me thinking about all the conversations that I had in grad school with you know going out to the bar after a class or something or mm -hmm. just hanging out with people and you know talking art or talking literature or talking mm -hmm. poetry and coming away from those conversations always coming away from those conversations feeling very energized and engaged and just like better about where I am in my life and where I am with art and yeah. thinking and thinking back on those realizing that uh, one the podcast would give me an excuse to just talk to people that I've never talked to about poetry that I've always kind of wanted to mm -hmm. um, and two so I, I could have those conversations the type of conversations that I wanted to have but I feel like there's a level of at the very least entertainment hopefully some sort of edification that other people would get out of hearing just varying views of poetry or process or just kind of experiences. Um, and I was like, well, I think that's something that I could, like, it, I actively want to do it because there are tons of poets and writers that, um, that I knew, you know, obviously from the last like season or two from the MFA yeah. that, you know, it's like, I've always wanted to just sit down and like, we, sh we should have one of these conversations. So this gives me the excuse, but, um, it also specifically on poetry was it was something that I feel like there's not a huge exposure to exposure to or maybe audience of or just people who who've had the had the opportunity to hear stuff like this about just poets talking about kind of their process but just hearing where poets kind of are in the world and what yeah. they're thinking about because I've, I've found, and I think I've mentioned this on podcasts before, that the questions that I that I have, I very rarely actually lean on. It's mm -hmm. only in the rare cases that the conversations are kind of like, eh, they're not they're not going super fluidly. Yeah. Um, but it's been my experience that in general conversation and, and talking with people, that most of the stuff that I would ask have been hit upon. Maybe not in as uh, as much detail as I would have liked, but. Mm -hmm. It's at least usually like you, I've gone back and listened to some things and I can kind of follow the chart of like, oh, yeah, we talked about this, we yeah. talked about this. Um, but I also think that just like as in, as in poetry, when we, like what people write about and how they write about it, I think reveals a lot about you know, just how they view the world and how they experience stuff. Sitting, like listening to people talk about 
either the things that they're passionate about or just kind of what comes to mind, even if it's just what comes to mind, like how they, how they mention things and where they decide to go and what connections they make, mm-hmm. I think reveal a lot about a person. Mm-hmm. For good or for bad, it's, you just you kind of get an, a snapshot of, at least for at, at that moment, kind of where they are, where, where they've positioned themselves to things. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's... Like, I, I hold with the, the school of close reading that, like, if you're dealing with, specifically with literature, uh, all of the information that you need to know or should know about whatever piece that you're dealing with come, is inherent, like, exists in that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so any reading that you have of it that you can back up with evidence drawn from that work is valid. But I do think that there are times that it's necessary to at least know, maybe, if not necessarily about the author, but kind of what they're about or like yeah. how they think about things so they can you can draw like oh if they think this way about the wind or they've talked about you know like the wind or space or something that's like in space takes a particular like you can read the spaces any way that you want but if you know that's like this is kind of how they deal with stuff then you can get not the correct view of it but just a deeper understanding like oh this is one specific thing that this is the way that the author may have intended it mm-hmm. but like you can take it however you want but it's just sort of cool to know it's like oh this is this is a little like nugget of like oh this is a there's a very long you know this is a, a potentially a poem and process or like I'm content uh, that they're being meditative about something and it's like they're it's like oh their idea has developed from mm-hmm. an earlier poem now to where they are now it's like oh and maybe they've gone they've experienced like a personal some sort of personal tragedy or like the birth or something and like their ideas or their view of this thing has changed significantly because of that and yeah i don't know yeah but that was it was really just sort of like what can i do that's effort on my part but that's not crazy effort that i can foreseeably do for as long as as i can I was like, yeah oh, we're talking to people about poetry i think it's great seems to work yeah um so i think that that's probably going to cap this episode off um, as is customary, if you want to have a send-off, if there's anything that comes to mind with thoughts or something to leave people with, mm-hmm. um, go for it. If not, I'll, <laughs> to, I, I'm terrible. I, I try to come up with one that I stick with, but it's like, eh. So if, is there any, any sort of parting whatever that you want to leave listeners with? I'm good. Okay. And also a little bit burnt out. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm good with it. All right. Well, yeah. in that case, listeners, um, take a nap. I don't know. <laughs> Eat some ice cream. Do, do something that's kind to yourself. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening, and I will catch you all later. <laughs>